Welcome back to the Georgia 2024 show. We are brought to you by the Georgia Record or georgiarecord.com. I am just land I have just landed in Warsaw, Poland. We are here to meet with some government officials to understand better the change in government that's happening in Poland and Eastern Europe. It's very critical for western civilization, west, critical for Christianity across the world. And so we're going to be delving into that here in Poland over the next week. Just got off a tour down in Israel reporting on the war. We're going to have more on that today, actually, later in the show, and then more interviews that we had with senior officials in Israel over the next few days. Packed show, as always. I've got Mallory Staples, who is the head of the Freedom Caucus under the Georgia Dome. I've got Brent Beecham from up in Alpharetta. He is uh, a classmate of mine from the Air Force Academy. He also flew for the Israeli Air Force, and he's a businessman here in Atlanta now. We're going to talk economics, and we're going to talk Israel uh, in Georgia and see where that goes. And then I've got an interview with Dan O'Shea that I did. Dan runs our Armed Forces Press website, and he's a former SEAL lieutenant commander, and he ran hostage rescue in Iraq for two years. And so we are, we're going to talk to him about really what's happening behind the scenes, what is going on, what are the geopolitical uh, ramifications for hostage rescue in, uh, in, in Israel, but also around the world that could affect us here in the U.S., so we are brought to you by several different sponsors today. We, we talked last week with Marjorie Wildcraft. And if you go to cdmfood.com, you can check out her website. She is a self-reliance guru, and she knows how to feed her family naturally. And she will teach you how to do that and be self-reliant yourself, because what we're eating now, in her words, is not food. And you need to provide a lot of nutrition because there's a lot of things coming our way that we don't know what's going to happen. The grid could go down. Uh, we, we don't like what we're getting in the stores. There's only four days of food on the shelves anyway, so you need to be much more self-reliant, and Marjorie at the Grow Network can help you do that. So go to cdmfood.com. I've watched her stuff for a while. She's fantastic. I guarantee you you'll enjoy it, and she's got a lot of free stuff there as well as her classes that she provides. So cdmfood.com. I'm going to bring in Mallory Staples now. Mallory, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Todd. Wow, you are quite the globetrotter. How are you feeling? You've got to be exhausted. Uh, we're hanging in there. Coffee is a good thing, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> All over the globe. Coffee is Exactly. A good thing. It works everywhere, and it's strong over here, too, so that's good. I can't wait so, to see the rest of the show. Sounds so yeah. interesting and informative. Thank you. So um, you had a big few days yourself down at the Dome, so... Tell us what happened with the paper please rally this morning. Let's start there. And I've got some slides that uh, Bill sent me that I want to show. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, we had a bit of a time conflict. The paper please rally went on during the, um, yay, here they are, um, during the beginning of session in the Senate chamber. And we were all ears. I had told Field and crew that um, we needed to be in the gallery of the Senate because Senator Colton Moore was going to um, take a point of personal privilege Mm -hmm. um, which is his singular opportunity during the special session to say um, what he wanted to say and address the issues that are um, very concerning to the um, citizens of Georgia, which is election integrity and the um, political persecution of these, you know, 19 indictees by right. Bonnie Willis. So we wanted to we were waiting with bated breath and we, you know, didn't know how long that was going to take to get started. So we uh, went down ahead of schedule and talked to them, but um, we missed it. But it looked like a good showing. And then most of them moved over into the Senate gallery to hear Colton speak, which was great. 
Um, that's coalition at its finest right there. And um, so, but it looks like they had a good showing and um, our vice chairman, Charlie Spurd, you know, sponsored that um, space um, reservation for them, which was great. So we were able to uh, give them a little push there and um, just really proud of them. But it looks like they had a bunch of uh, paid, yeah, there's Sam and Field, but um, a bunch of folks come out and then they came and joined us, which was really great. And there's the senator. So what is going on with the whole paper ballots thing in Georgia? I heard you on a radio show the other day, uh, but tell our audience what you think is happening or is not happening regarding paper ballots in Georgia. I mean, I think um, the next several weeks, the next month are going to be very, very, very telling um, with what's mm -hmm. on the calendar coming up. Um, we certainly... Um, hold it as the top priority, which I think is probably what you heard me say, even with the border, even, you know, with all the illegals and I mean, devastating figure. I was listening to a podcast earlier where they said that nationally, this is nationally. And we know they're mm -hmm. here in Georgia, even though nothing's really being done about it at all, or it's nobody's talking about it. I mean, Charlize and I were saying earlier, it's unbelievable that it's just not even a part of the conversation but that nationally, these illegals are costing the taxpayers $451 billion a year. I saw that. It's only going to get worse, too. It's only going to get worse. I mean, I yeah. don't know how the system holds up under it. Honestly, I don't. Um, so even with that um, and all, all the other issues, the Ukraine, what's going on in Israel, you know, the educational battles that we're having, mental health, you know, all these things, the number one issue continues to be um, election integrity. So I can tell you this, that I don't know what will happen over the next month, but the mm -hmm. Freedom Caucus uh, members are working on a companion piece of legislation um, that will, you know, that means it gets introduced in both chambers, basically simultaneously. Mm -hmm. um, we are going to really shoot for the stars uh, with a piece of legislation, you know, hand counted ballots at the precinct level, um, you know, no universal absentee ballots, no drop boxes. I mean, we're just going to ask for the whole gravy train uh, because as we know, historically, they beat down and tear apart, you know, really good bills. They, they start off great and then they get highly diluted. And, you know, that's kind of the way it goes. Yeah. So we're really going to reach for the stars. So uh, the citizens can look for that from the Freedom Caucus members, uh, Senator Moore and um, Representative Byrd in both of those chambers. Because, I mean, somebody somebody needs to do it. And, and I hope and expect that we will have the support of the lieutenant governor in the Senate. Um, the House, not so much, but the House runs. It is absolute. It is completely a one man show, you know, in yeah. the House. And yeah. so but but we are going to speak for the people because that's our job. And. It's very rarely done. I was actually reading a tweet earlier uh, from Greg Bluestein uh, with the AJC. I, I heard you weren't real happy with him. <laughs> I wasn't, and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad you pointed that out because, yeah, they sat there silently while one senator in that chamber represented the voice of the people of Georgia. Which, you know, we had that Rasmussen poll that was taken. So we can say that with authority. I mean, we can say mm -hmm. that definitively. And a large portion of the independents and Democrats feel like what is going on is is absolutely um, Marxist in its nature and designed to 
um, steal liberties and freedoms and it's politically motivated. It's not constitutional. I mean, on and on and on. And you had one senator in that chamber stand up today and take a personal point of privilege to do that. And, you know, it's also interesting that Colton's been calling for a special session and being told it can't be done. And then, oh, wait, oh, here we are. Yeah, it, it can't be done. <laughs> just, we'll like do it just like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, just like maybe. that. So, um, and then the whole prosecutorial committee, mm -hmm. you know, can kicking as we call it, just what a bunch of mess that was. And we knew it. Uh, we knew they were just buying time why this DA just destroyed innocent people's lives. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I got caught in the elevator today at the Capitol waiting outside the elevator in a conversation um, with a couple of friends that I have that work down at the Capitol and Blake Bassham, our legislative director about Stacey Abrams. The conversation came up like, is she going to run again? And, you know, she really shouldn't have even run last. Anyway, a whole conversation about Stacey Abrams. And I was like, you know, it is literally jaw dropping that she has basically done almost everything that these 19 people we were being indicted yeah. for over the past several years on multiple occasions. And it's Pre totally fine. And the question is, are they going to run her again? And then we've got these people, you know, on trial for hundreds of years of their lives behind bars. I mean, it's just, it's, it's called, it's called projection, right? <laughs> thank you. Yeah. That's what I told Greg, but it, it is literally so extreme so insulting, like to the people that are paying attention who aren't furious at this point, I don't mm -hmm. understand. Like, yeah. I, I don't understand. Yeah. It, it's yeah. blatant. It's obvious. They're unapologetic. They don't care. I mean, it's like I was looking down from the gallery today on the Senate chamber and I just thought, you know, what world do they live in that they think yeah. this is OK? Because they don't live in our world like they don't. No, live, they, don't. they don't live like we live. No, not at all. That this is all right, and 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 um, that they can be ignoring of the the crisis. You know, like I love all these videos that are going viral on TikTok, where these everyday people are coming out saying, "My groceries are quadruple. I've taken out a mortgage to pay my family." You know, and I'm, mm -hmm. I know the Biden administration is getting like a full body rash, and they're trying to like censor, censor, censor. You know, to shut down TikTok. Because it is so obvious to everyone. And, and I hope it's gotten to the point where, you know, it's bad enough that people are going to be outraged because I don't understand when you're not outraged. Like, I, I don't understand how people aren't outraged if they're paying attention, yeah. um, you know, and that's on us to try and get the attention of people that that aren't. But it, it's it is infuriating, really. It's infuriating. I mean, when you well, the election integrity movement and how widespread and consistent that has been across the state and that we're not mm -hmm. further along than we are. That's that just tells you right there that everybody's not, everybody doesn't have the same agenda to get to the truth and to have fair and free elections. That says that, that we're continuing run, continually running into roadblocks and things that are put there deliberately to slow down the goal of fair and free and secure elections, you know, of it, course. It's well, Kemp and his team, they seem committed to just ignore the evidence and the people's wishes mm -hmm. as far as election integrity and, and paper ballots. Um, I want to jump back to Colton real quick. We've got a short clip. It's about two minutes of him speaking in the legislature today. I'm just going to play that. Yeah, please do. Thank you. Why is that no sound? Well, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, we're not going to hear that speech. I'm not sure what happened there, but well, uh, we'll, we'll have it up on the Freedom <laughs> Caucus uh, social media and myself, and I'll send it out in my newsletter so everybody can enjoy that. It, it was it was wonderful. Uh, appreciate the Lieutenant Governor honoring that and and letting um, Colton have the the well for for that heartfelt and genuine uh, message that really, like I said, represented how the citizens feel. Yep. So um, let's switch gears. What happened with the whole prosecuting attorney qualification committee that uh, they said we're going to fix all the Fannie Willis issues? Well, the Supreme Court, you know, rightly just felt like they didn't have the authority to do that. And, you know, a little bit of a throwback to when this conversation started with mm -hmm. SB 92. Um, that was the argument was that the General Assembly has the constitutional authority for oversight and investigation. And they did not. It, it was Colton and Charlize voted against it because it went against their constitutional duties to hand that off to someone else. And that committee was going to be five people, you know, creates re a regulatory body. It expands mm -hmm. the government, which we at the Freedom Caucus are opposed to. So we got to know. But also the five people that were going to be assigned to that, one by the governor, uh, one by the lieutenant appointed, uh, the governor, the lieutenant governor, two, the speaker got two, and the committee on assignments got one. They are not elected by the citizenry. So there's no accountability. There's no way mm -hmm. to vote them out next term if we didn't like what they were doing or if, they didn't, if we didn't feel like they were effective. Um, and so that's a problem as well. And we knew that it had to take two passes through the Supreme Court, one to exist and two to have its rules passed. And we warned that this was just a politician's way of not taking a stand, not making a stand. Um, I believe personally, um, and no one can convince me otherwise, that, that their lack of action is in an effort to politically safeguard themselves for future mm -hmm. elections. Um, they don't want to go on record. They don't want to make enemies with leadership who they were told to stand down in emails, in conversation. I mean, that's just known at this point. So we said, you know, in the meantime, these people's lives are going to be destroyed and they're going through the ringer um, while you guys sit around holding the constitutional authority to do this and not doing it all. Obviously, with the exception of, of Colton and Charlize, who, who wanted to take action and were willing to take the arrows, whatever that may be. Um, we said that was a pipe dream and it was not going to happen. It wasn't going to happen mm -hmm. timely and it wasn't going to happen at all. And um, we were right. You know, they so were right. Colt, Colton Moore and you and the team were vindicated, essentially. We were. You've, yes. you've been saying. Yeah. And you know what, Todd's so interesting is that you would think after these reps and senators talking to their constituents and making these promises for months and months and months and months about this prosecutorial committee, you would think that in the wake of that ruling, they would have been very quick to make statements and say, oh, you know, I'm sorry, you know, let me do something now because mm -hmm. I told you that I was going to let them do it and they're not there to do it. So I'll step in. It has been unbelievably quiet. Like they're not owning it. Nobody's coming out and saying, oh, okay, well, our plan B is this. Or, hey, you know what, Colton, we're going to sign on to your letter because obviously the one excuse that we had for not doing that to call a special session to specifically address this gross abuse and use of taxpayer dollars, um, that fell through. So we're going to hop on with you now because we said that was the problem and that's why we didn't want to do it. And nothing. Like, I yeah. mean, Colton has gotten 
0.0 calls from anyone saying, okay, that didn't go the way I had. And maybe they genuinely hoped it would. Maybe they genuinely believed it would. Okay, we'll give you that. If that's the case, you should have given Colton a little ringy dingy at this point and said, put my name on your letter. I'm with you, my friend. Um, because A, my constituents want this as well as it is the right thing to do. And they're yeah. not doing it. Nothing. I mean, so far, nobody. Yeah, it was obviously a, a ploy to an excuse that leadership gave them. And they're just parroting what they were told to do, it looks mm -hmm. like. Yeah. So uh, Nikki Haley is uh, her star is rising, it seems, uh, at least in the uh, donor class. And she's got a boosted money and is talking about having a big grassroots army in Georgia. What do you think of that? <laughs> I think that is the funniest thing I've ever heard. I mean, sorry, Nikki, I don't know about other states, but like in Georgia, it's a no-go. Like, I mean, the grassroots are Donald J. Trump all day long and twice on Sunday. I think it's hilarious. I mean, I think she's personally, I think she's like barely a Republican. I mean, the whole thing is like, unbelievable to me. But, you know, it does speak to that absolute disconnect ideologically, uh, the way we live our lives from the grassroots and the donor class, like you just mm -hmm. said, that that ruling class. I'm sorry, the grassroots do not at all. Hey, Nikki Haley does not appeal to the grassroots. I mean, it's super suspicious of her and, and rightly so. Um, just absolutely hysterical. And I, I, I am not at all worried that she is going to like sneak up on Trump or anything like that. But it is a little bit um, of example number 487,000 for, you know, the difference between the donor class and the grassroots. I mean, that's just no thanks. We'll pass. Tell us how you really feel. I know. <laughs> so uh, next subject. Uh, there was 175,000 given from Kemp's leadership committee and some of the legislatures have received that. There's been news that his wife and the governor signed the letter. Yeah. Do you, what do you make of that? Well, I mean, I've heard rumblings for a hot minute now that mm -hmm. Marty's running for governor. Um, mm. And, you know, it wasn't, this has been going on for a while where mm -hmm. she's the wingman for mm -hmm. sure. And like an equal, not like the supportive staff, you know, like I'm supporting my man, stand by mm -hmm. my man, but that she, there's like equal footing there. And I feel like she's been being subliminally introduced as the the heir apparent to the throne or wow. whatever um, for quite some time. I didn't detect it as much in his first term, but this second term has been Marty, 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 you know, lots mm. of Marty, Marty and I, and we, and us. And, you know, if you or objective about it, and you step back, the, even the most popular governors, I mean, you know, Nome and DeSantis and, uh, uh, you know, mm -hmm. Huckabee, they don't do that. There's not a collective pronoun, we, us thing. <laughs> it's, it's, it's me, me, I am the governor and yeah. I am doing this. And so yeah. it's, it is remarkable in that sense that it well, is- Nothing's an accident these days, right? No, I mean, no, nothing. I think they yeah. are slowly, you know, getting, which makes sense for that big old, you know, uh, bag of cash he's got, mm -hmm. you know, that's going to need to be there to support two candidates, not mm -hmm. just one. Right. So it makes sense. And uh, yeah, he gave some, you know, crumbs, little niblets under the table. I mean, when you've got 90 mil mm -hmm. and you're spreading out 175,000, 
that's nothing. Like you could yeah. sneeze that into a Kleenex and not right. miss it, you know, when right. you've got exactly. $90 million. So I didn't think it was that generous. I mean, to me, if you're going to back some people, like get out there and max out to all yeah. your people, but whatever, I'm not Brian Kemp. And um, anyway, but yeah, I think, I think Marty is, is moving out of the wings and into the, into the front. So last question, uh, you were on a radio show recently and uh, there was some bashing of Brian K. Pritchard and David Cross, yet yeah, they're really the grassroots favorites for election integrity. Do you yeah, want to talk actually, about that? Or? I actually wasn't on that part of the call. Like um, I got some calls right after. Uh, one was actually from David uh -huh. and I was like, what? Like I, I had, and actually Marcy McCarthy, there were four of us talking uh -huh. election integrity and Marcy McCarthy also had to hop off. And so, um, I, I wasn't on for that. And, and in full honesty, I haven't listened to it yet because this girl's been mm -hmm. blowing and going and I have not had time, but yes, I, I am friends with Brian Craig K. Richard from campaign. Like, you know, mm -hmm. we, we became friends back in the day. Uh, it seems like a million years ago. It was really like three. And I've gotten to know David in the past couple of months. They are both coalition partners for the Freedom Caucus in that they're helping and furthering and, um, you know, what we do. And so I would not have bashed them on the radio. And actually the previous week, because uh, John Fredericks is a friend of mine as well. Mm -hmm. And I was on his show earlier the week, uh, the week before. And, um, made a point of saying, because he was bringing up the, you know, dumpster fire that is the Georgia GOP at the moment. And I said, well, interestingly, I'm friends with all those people because I'm friends with mm -hmm. Caroline. I'm friends with mm -hmm. Sally and Candace and, you know, Denise. Mm -hmm. and, and it's like, we, we need everybody. Like when we make those legislative pushes to either kill like mental health bill or whatever, yep. we everybody like we i we're not we're not we aren't the gop we're the georgia freedom caucus you know and thank the lord for that right and so but i would never bash my friends on the radio well you know i did listen to it and i found it almost kind of contrived and like manufactured was, oh. was the for some reason and i guess that reason will come out in time but uh you're right we have to but the other thing was the 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 narrative was we have to all unify for a Republican candidate. No one said Donald Trump was up 60 points above everybody else. So I found that also quite interesting. But uh, Well, and, yeah. and here's the sad thing for me, and I've said this repeatedly, mm -hmm. with the GOP, I want to see leaders lead. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the issue with the grassroots mm -hmm. is we are sick and tired to the point that we could throw up over mm -hmm. um, weak leadership. So I would like to see Josh McCune, who is the top tier of the party, Mm -hmm. step forward, convene. And I told everybody, you are an entity. You are a group, whether you like each other or not. Too bad. You're all duly elected and you're in this, you know, you're all in the same pot now. Yeah. Call that meeting, answer the questions. The concern seems to be very data driven. This should not take long, you know, full disclosure, you know, whatever, get it done, like get it yeah. done. Because what's happened in Georgia, thanks to Brian Kemp is we had the Republican party and that was fractured, right? Because you've got the coalition people and the mm -hmm. rhinos, the donor class mm -hmm. boop, over here, mm -hmm. and you've got the grassroots over here that took over. And then you look at this and this is breaking. It's like we're down to a quarter of, you know, it's, it's, it is absolutely unacceptable that, that this has been allowed to go on. I, I've told everyone I've talked to, I've only got one speed. I said, I feel like I'm in middle school. Uh, this is ridiculous deal with the issues, produce the documents, answer the questions, rebuttal, 
debate, don't hit each other, do everything, shut, get it out, like get it done yep. and move forward. Or we need like another plan because we need people knocking doors and raising money for Donald Trump, not for themselves, for, for the party to support the president, uh, 45, uh, I mean, every, literally the majority of the country would like to see Donald Trump back in office. Georgia, Wisconsin, and Arizona have to be delivered for him to get into the White House. This is unacceptable behavior. Get it done. To whom much is given, much is required. I really don't care if everybody likes each other anymore. I'm over it. You're there yeah. to serve the Republicans in the GOP in Georgia um, to raise money and spend money effectively to deliver those seats to great conservative Republicans. And I would like to see them start doing that. And Josh McCoon is at the top of the heap, whether he likes it or not. He ran for that. So whatever. Yeah. Get the house in order. Get the house in order and take care of it. Answer questions and y'all figure it out. It's a problem across the country in the party. But Mallory, thanks for your time. we got to move to our next guest. Although I, I loved it. You have a great a night. While. Safe travels. Right. Take care. Bye. Okay, bye. So you'll be seeing a lot more of Mallory on the show. She's fantastic. One of our other sponsors is The Wellness Company. And many of you have people in your family who took the vaccine. They may have issues. Uh, they may still have issues. There's long vaccine as, as well as long COVID injuries. The Wellness Company has a spike detox formula. You can go to twc.health forward slash CDM and get a formula that has natokinase and other instruments that will purify your blood because the spike protein is being produced by your body. It's a toxin. This bioweapon was created to produce a toxin in your body for a long period of time. We don't even know how long. So purify your blood. Go to the wellness company, twc.health forward slash CDM and check it out along with the emergency medical kit. If you haven't got one of those, uh, all these crises are coming uh, around the clock and there's going to be more coming. That's for sure. And this next year is going to be really difficult. So protect your family. Check out their emergency medical kit. If you use promo code CDM, you get 10% off everything. So twc.health forward slash CDM, use promo code CDM. I'm going to bring in our next guest. Brent, thanks for coming. Glad to be here. So you are my classmate at the United States Air Force Academy, a class of 1986, and you flew F-15s, then you flew for the Israeli Air Force. Uh, you are helpful in our journalistic <laughs> efforts. And uh, But tell us... Uh, I, I just got back, well, not back yet, but I, I just left Israel this morning. Um, and I found that it was kind of a 9-11 situation on the ground. And people are very united and angry to deal with, you know, they're starting to look at some of the films that are coming out. They're showing them in different venues of the murders, of the tortures, of the kids being tortured and murdered. And it's really causing, you know, the taxi driver said, you know, BB's a blah, 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 you know what, but we're going to destroy Hamas. I mean, that that was the feeling on the ground. How are you seeing it uh, with the Israeli community? Because you're, uh, you're, your wife's an Israeli, you, you spent time in Israel. Um, what are you seeing in Georgia for that community? Yeah, so Alpharetta has several thousand uh, Israelis that live here. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of them relocated here in the mid-90s uh, mm -hmm. with their companies that um, there was a very strong push here to, to recruit uh, Israeli companies to come to Atlanta. And uh, to the point now where there's actually a big enough community, they have a scouts uh, group 
that meets locally with about 350 kids. Hmm. So it's, it's a, it's a pretty large community and they're mostly high tech, uh, really interesting. And of course with high tech and highly educated, typically I would say they were fairly left-leaning, um, especially amongst our friends, <laughs> you find hmm. out just how left-leaning they are when you say things and then you realize, I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> you get the blank <laughs> stare or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, over the last few months, along with the um, protests that were going on in Israel, they were actually pretty much every Saturday, I believe they were going down to the consulate um, in Atlanta. Maybe it was Sunday. Uh, they would go down to the consulate and protest. Uh, they occasionally had some protest up here. And, um, you know, it was very, I think I lost you, Brent. Necessary or not. Okay. Um, but in any case, so those quickly, I mean, they pivoted overnight, uh, from October 7th. Uh, like you said, it was a nine 11 moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, we were with some friends, um, who, one of the people that was there was visiting from Israel and actually was from the uh, Gaza border communities. And her, I believe it was her kibbutz, um, had been overrun and a number of people had been killed. And she said, you know, I grew up, uh, my father took me to Gaza City. You know, we had uh, coffee with the, the Arab, you know, locals. Um, I was very pro um uh the uh when they left in 2005 I was very um much for that i wanted to see them to have you know their own uh their own state so on and so on and uh, my wife asked her this is just several nights afterwards said how do you feel now and she mm -hmm. said i hope they flatten gaza mm -hmm. so the 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 turning of opinions um, was pretty extreme. And when you find somebody like that, that said, I, I hope they flatten Gaza, uh, you know, that's, that's a pretty strong statement. Of course, uh, the local community here, they've, um, they've organized a number of events. Uh, they had one here in Alpharetta, maybe two here in Alpharetta where they set tables uh, with pictures of all the, um, the missing and, and, um, mm -hmm. and the captured hostages and they set a table out for them. And then, you know, uh, had that kind of silent protest. Mm -hmm. Um, my wife met with one of her friends down in Midtown, uh, near one of the big, uh, the Beltline, um, where thousands of people go by every day. They put out uh, 240 pairs of shoes with a picture of each a person that was missing and a balloon attached to it again just a yeah, there mm -hmm. and and that's that's probably the busiest area in midtown i mean thousands and thousands of kids the belt line uh, actually has a, a couple of israeli restaurants on it pont city market is uh just to off to to the left of that huge um you know indoor uh food hall and shopping center and so lots of people saw this and it was very, very powerful. It's covered by the local press, but all that said, there's, you know, the protests that go on 
they the first protest happened at CNN Center seven days after uh, the 7th of October. And my daughter lives in Midtown. She saw out her window, she lives across the street from the, the Israeli consulate and protests going on, burning of American flags, burning of Israeli flags, mm-hmm. and calling for pre, free Palestine. And, you know, the unfortunate part is I think this is a lot of low information uh, people. I was going to say that people just, they just don't understand. They don't know the history. They don't know. Yeah. They don't, they don't even know, you know, that Palestine was essentially created by the Romans to, yeah. to, to remove Judea from the map. So, I mean, right. because of the rebellion. So the, it was a created term, but, you know, I, I, I frankly think populations on both sides of the aisle here are being, um, you know, abused because the, the, I spoke to uh, Brigadier General uh, Yossi, uh, forget his last name now, but I'm going to interview here him soon. And he said, these people have been extremely indoctrinated over yeah. a long period of time to, to, to rise to this level of hatred. And it's the same indoctrination that's going on in our schools. And that's what we have to get to the bottom of. Um, right. Go ahead. Yeah. I, you know, and I, and I think when you hear people scream, you know, from the river to the sea, mm-hmm. And you ask them which river and which sea, they first of all they have no clue. That's just a you know slogan that they chant. Yeah. But if you ask them, okay, so everybody between that river and that sea, what happens to them? And again, the question mark comes over the head. Well, I'm not really sure. And yeah. the answer to that is what happened on October seventh. Were yeah. they to, you know, capture from the river the sea, they murder every Jew and and probably every. Um, Christian, Arab, and maybe, you know, half the, the, the Muslim population because they, they participated in the, uh, the Israeli state. So it's, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a very, I mean, they're, they're virtually calling for the Holocaust of 6 million, 7 million Jews in, in Israel. Yeah. And how we, how we got to that in America, I'm not really certain. Uh, but I've heard so many times over over the years. Well, if I had lived in the in Germany in 1938, I certainly would have opposed the Nazis. No, you would have been marching with the Nazi youth, with the Hitler yeah. youth. Yeah, um, it's clear, and they've picked the evil side of this. And it really, I think it it comes down to just that. It's a good and evil. Um, it's not Israel and Palestine. It's not. You know, it's not a religious war. It's purely somebody who can back people who murder and rape children, women, old people who take hostages that are in there, including a Holocaust survivor. Yeah. You know, to, to experience that again. I mean, how do you how do you even justify in, in, in any way, shape or form that kind of behavior? But. But the good news is here, at least in Alpharetta, I'm not seeing one protest. I'm not seeing one Palestinian flag. I think pretty much outside of the city of Atlanta, um, it's it's pretty isolated. And I would say, you know, even during the during the BLM Antifa riots that happened, mm-hmm. you know, we did see some people up here. You know, young people trying to participate, and that's not. I think they they actually see that this is a different thing. This is not just we're going out protesting, whatever the man is. Yeah, uh, I, I think they they got the message. 
So that's good news up here. Um, Let, let's switch gears real quick. Um, what do you hear? Well, you're a developer, so interest rates are very key to you, uh, you know, because that impacts your cash flows uh, as a real estate guy. What, right. what, are you, what are you feeling in the market right now? What, what, what does it feel like on the ground? Well, I, I think uh, over time, again, free money encouraged poor behavior. Mm -hmm. And when interest rates were three or 4%, people were buying property. Um, and I'm talking about commercial property. They're buying commercial property, putting a coat of paint on it, get some new tenants and flipping it to the next guy. And the next guy got a three, you know, three or 4% loan and he was going to do the same thing, hold it for three years. And it's the, the old, you know, musical chairs, the music stopped and somebody got left without a chair. And that that's the last guy holding that property. And what's happened is actually some of the most um, famous properties in Atlanta, including the first real high rise in Buckhead is going in foreclosure. Because the last guy had a 3% loan. It's due now. The property was worth, you know, X. It's worth 50% of that now because the cap rates that they apply to that are, uh, you know, it went from four cap or five cap to nine or 10. And so now that means the valuations dropped in half. And then they've got a loan that now they have to put more money in equity, which they may or may not have. And the rate that they're borrowing money is going to be at eight or nine yeah. percent. So then on top of that, their interest payments are higher. So you're starting to see now one by one. And actually, person I know uh, personally had a has a property that's that is exact same thing. Five hundred million dollar valuations is half of that now. Mm. And so now they're they're facing and it you know just came out in the news the other day. So I'm not spilling the beans, but um, that that's the kind of thing that's happened all over. Now, if you're on my side, which is we're, we're creating new developments, um, as things slow down, there's an opportunity, in my opinion, just like there's always an opportunity in any market, there's an opportunity in which I can borrow money. Okay, it's a little bit higher rate, but I think I can get materials and labor cheaper because people are not building as, uh, as much as they were. So then you can find people who are in my position saying, okay, we've got the money to go build this. So then when we're finished, hopefully the recession's over, interest rates go back to something normal, not three or four, but five or six. Mm -hmm. And we plan for that from day one and we plan a long-term investment, not in this short flipping game. Then you can really make money that way. And that's, I think that's probably... You know, you, you have to find the right niches to do that. I wouldn't own a million square feet of office in downtown, but to to go out to the the outer uh, neighbor or outer cities that's ring Atlanta or ring any city, I think that's where the, the opportunities are. And you know, mm -hmm. in our area, we're not seeing any real slowdown in spending because it's it's a very high income area. But I, I suspect that in town in Atlanta where you have, you know, younger people that maybe aren't quite making as much money, they're, they're thinking real hard about it. You know, should I take that so drive what, today? Yeah. What about monetization? Are, are you going to be able to find tenants in this market? I mean, you have, yeah. to, you have to fill the buildings, right? 
Yeah. In fact, uh, I'm finishing my I'm in Milton. I've got a project there. We've got four buildings. Uh, as of this week, I'm 100 um, oh, percent occupied. So, yeah. And but, it, you know, again, it's you really got to go out and go find the right people. And that's why, you know, mm-hmm. in, in an easy, in a easy uh, credit market, you can go buy any garbage piece of property and put people in it. And at the right at some lower rent rate. But if you're going to do something that's a high end property, you need to be in a unique location. You need to have unique tenants and you got to be you know, strong enough that if they start to falter, maybe you can help them out. And, you know, so but, I, you know, I'm, I'm pre-leasing in another building that we don't even have the permit yet. And, you know, I probably got 40 percent leased. Um, Oh. With with no timeline for completion because I do, I don't have the 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 permit yet, so I, I feel like you know there's places where you can play and I that's, I think that's in any it's true whether it's in the stock market or bonds it's true or whatever you you, you have, have to, to know able, you have to see value right yeah, yeah. and yeah. the people who are who are playing not professionally but they're they're it's a game to them hey let's get some money together and go buy a gas station. Those guys are the ones that get burned and burned badly. And, you know, the people that are that relied on 3% credit, I think they're also facing the same sorts of um, same sorts of issues. It's like that scene in the big short when the guy's at a strip club and she says, yeah, I have I have three houses. Yeah, yeah. He's like, what? <laughs> I, I went to a movie theater. I think I would, if I had seen that movie at home, I would have thrown a brick through my my TV screen because I got caught up in that by the same, you know, yeah. same kind of thing. Uh, you know, the, the the whole thing collapsed because people like them were loaning out money to strippers with seven yeah. seven condo units. <laughs> Brent, thank you very much. I'll have you back down the road. Take care. You're very welcome. Bye. Good talk. Yep. So Brent's a very knowledgeable guy. We like to have him on talk real estate in hot Atlanta. So food security, we've talked about cdmfood.com with Marjorie Wildcraft. Check that out. And just, she's got some free videos and give you an introduction to what's going on there. But beef, we have a cattleman out in Nebraska, Glade Miller Smith at familyfarmbeefbox.com. And I can tell you the beef is fantastic. Check it out, get one of his sample boxes, start there, have it delivered. And uh, I guarantee you, you'll get a, you'll start subscribing to the beef because it's that tasty. And what I find great is, you know, deciding the kids around the table, deciding what meal we're going to have. So they go through the box. What's this dad? It's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a chuck roast or whatever. Uh, It's a, it's a T-bone. You talk about the beef, you talk about where that comes from on the cow, you teach them something. um, And there's no MRNA in this beef. That's for sure which is important now. So food security is important. What you're putting in your family's stomachs is very important. So familyfarmbeefbox.com, run a quick commercial. It's gonna be a good day. Baby. 
Shipping beef this Monday. We do have a little bit left available here. Check us out, familyfarmbeefbox.com. Thanks. Have a good day. As my co-host Bill, who's on assignment tonight, uh, it always that those commercials make always make you feel good. So uh, I have a special operations background, counter-terror. I flew uh, some of the tier one teams around for years back in the day and obviously meet some really highly qualified people in that business. And the guy who runs armedforces.press, our military channel at CDM, Dan O'Shea, former lieutenant commander in the Navy, uh, retired, uh, and he is a former SEAL and he was the hostage coordinator in Iraq for two years uh, hostage rescue coordinator. He wasn't on the missions per se, but was coordinating uh, all the, uh, you know, whenever there is a crisis like this, you have a, in Alaska, when I flew combat rescue, you have a rescue combat or a rescue coordination center with a similar type thing where you coordinate all the different assets in how you are going to recover the hostages. So I sat down with Dan in Israel um, this week, and I just wanted to play that interview because I think you'll find it very informative. Welcome back to War Stories. I'm coming to you live from Tel Aviv. I'm honored to have my good friend and colleague, Dan O'Shea, former U.S. Navy SEAL, Lieutenant Commander in the U.S. Navy, Naval Academy grad, and former coordinator of hostage rescue throughout Iraq for two years. Welcome, Dan. Thanks for coming on. Good to be on with you, Todd. So uh, I wanted to bring you on and talk about what's going on here because, you know, we're getting a lot of conflicting stories as to there's stops and starts in this hostage release, a lot of, you know, uh, new, uh, nuance going on as to what's actually happening behind, behind the scenes. And I thought you would have a good idea of what's actually happening. So take it from here. Tell us what you think is going on on the ground in Gaza and in Israel. Sure. You know, as the world remains focused on the conflict in Gaza, central to every story is the hostage crisis. This is exactly why Hamas grabbed 240 men, women, and children from more than 40 countries around the world. Victims included family members, fathers, mothers, grandparents, and grandchildren. Elderly as old as 85 years old and children as young as three months. They were not spared from this terror of kidnapping. But why? Because hostage terrorism works, Todd. This is central to what Hamas and their, their mullahs in Tehran that finance them and support them. They've been doing this since the 1979 overthrow of the American embassy in Tehran. It's highly effective. And my definition disrupt and degrade the political will and decision-making ability of their declared adversary. Their hostages are used for the purpose of making public demands, increasing public awareness of their cause, raising funds by extorting ransoms and or forcing concessions from nation states or other entities. And we're seeing it on display right now. The, the reason that ceasefire is in effect today is because of these hostages. That's the only bargaining chip Hamas has and that in world opinion, which they're using very effectively to put pressure on Netanyahu. And, you know, I, I've said this for years. Hostage terrorism is how terrorist organizations negotiate with the West. And we have no better example than what's on display every day here in uh, in Gaza. Well, I can tell you on the ground here in Israel, the hostages are the key issue. The people are very angry about it. Uh, they're angry at the government. They're angry at why it happened. Uh, they're, you know, putting pressure on Netanyahu. 
And you're right. I mean, it's that public pressure that has caused this ceasefire, which gives them, do you think four days is an, enough time to, to rearm, re-equip and, and, and redeploy? Well, they're moving in the tunneling systems. They're, they're already out. You can imagine because the, the IDF had pretty much put a noose around uh, everything in the north. But the challenge will be going forward. A million refugees from the north went to the south. So now the offensive, the next phase will be much more potentially catastrophic. And the casualty rates will arguably be twice as bad simply because of the density. Um, Gaza yeah. is, as you know, it's the most densely packed neighborhoods on the planet, roughly 16,000 people per square mile. And that now has doubled because half of Gaza has been arguably overrun by the IDF or taken over by the IDF. But the ground tunneling network, you know, obviously Hamas is moving freely. Again, this is this is why they did this. And the challenge is all this media, this constant media speculation about hostages daily and don't turn on any news network from CNN to Fox to, I mean, literally to all the uh, the other networks like us here in the Armed Forces Network, mm -hmm. everyone's talking about this story, and that's fueling the speculation. And the challenge is, all we're doing is rising the value of the hostage in Hamas, and in particular, the fact that the U.S. administration's played such a central role in forcing this ceasefire. Um, that stakes have been raised, risen so high because the goal. When I worked in Iraq, I, I had a colleague uh, at this for years, uh, Mark Thompson. Uh, who was a, a former Marine recon officer, worked for state CT, and he shared insights of his 30, 40 years of working in this this realm, that the goal is to not value, bring up the value of the hostages in the eyes of the world. You want to bring up the value of the humanity, the fact that it is grandparents and children, but you want to publicly not raise their profile. So when the president of the United States is making daily statements about the hostages, all it's doing is raising the value of the hostages to Hamas, which is yeah. why to date no Americans have been released, even though there was expect expectations that especially that young girl who lost her parents. She's three years mm -hmm. old, actually just turned four, I believe, Isabel. She mm -hmm. is still being held. And it's because the value and when we raise the conversation like we're doing, all it does means it's going to be that much harder uh, for those hostages, in particular, the Americans to come home. So the Biden administration is doing this all wrong, in your opinion? Well, they're doing a lot of things wrong. First off, paying mm -hmm. six billion, you know, wiring six billion dollars. Uh, and the announcement, if you can believe it, was right on about September 11th, the anniversary of 9-11. They yeah. literally announced that we were transferring six billion dollars. Now, I understand it was Iranian money from fuels and from and it's been held up for years. But so what? Why would you give six billion dollars, billion dollars? to the leading state sponsor of terrorism, who we all know they they supported this and they're they're the ones calling the shots. Hamas is nothing more than a proxy army for the for the mullahs in Tehran. And we just again, but it's the pattern of not just the Biden administration. This is the Obama second Obama administration, because let's go back in history a little bit. Obama for for years, US policy always was at perceived policy that we don't make, negotiate with terrorists. That was never U.S. policy. It was the perception. But our policy was, and when I was in Iraq, our policy was the U.S. will not make concessions to terrorism, nor give them the benefit of ransom or exchange of prisoners. And that was an ironclad uh, position. It was us, the Brits, UK, Australia, New Zealand that held that position, which actually kept those those nationalities safer because other countries like Germany, Italy, uh, France, 
They paid out multi-million dollar ransom. So what do you think that did for their, any passport holder with a French passport, a German passport? It put a target on their back, not just in the Middle East, Africa and elsewhere. In fact, today mm -hmm. on the continent of Africa, kidnapping alone of European foreigners is what's funding terrorism on the continent. So the U.S. got into that game when President Obama not only did a deal to release five senior Taliban and Al-Qaeda leaders that were held in Gitmo for a American soldier, Bo Bergdahl, who walked off his post, arguably a deserter, was traded for five ranking Taliban and Al-Qaeda leadership. And, the, and not only did they do that, you know, in Qatar, which is where these negotiations are going on today, that deal was made in Qatar. President Obama announced it from the Rose Garden with Bo Bergdahl's parents. Yeah, and he I announced... Yeah, he announced to the world that not only does the U.S. negotiate with terrorists, we make concessions to terrorism. And that same administration within about two years before Obama left in his final year, they sent a pallet of cash, $400 million in a on a plane that landed in Tehran. And one of the Iranian Americans, I think it was four that swapped for that ransom payment, said we sat on the runway telling a plane i think he said a c-130 landed and then we were allowed to leave because it was a pallet of euros and u.s greenbacks stacked on a pallet and so ever since then the u.s does not have a policy of no concessions to terrorism we have made we, we've made these concessions and hence we're now in the hostage game because we are no different than france germany or anyone else in europe so with all the defections or not defections, but, you know, people infiltrators in the Biden White House from Iran that were sympathizers, et cetera, that losing security clearances, a lot of that, you know, makes sense. But talk to us about in your time in Iraq, you get the call, there's a hostage somewhere. What's the process behind the scenes with all the interagency, you know, communica communications? Well, it's ironic, you know, people keep calling me a hostage negotiator. And yes, I did work some negotiations um, behind the scenes in Iraq and, and, and post that tour. But in mm -hmm. reality, I try to keep stressing, Navy SEALs don't negotiate with terrorists. We, yeah. we kill them. We hunt them yeah. down. And that was always our mission. The hostage working group had three simple priorities. First and foremost was rescue recovery of hostages. Second was prevent future kidnappings. And third, bring those responsible to justice. So our mission was not negotiate with terrorists. Our mission was rescue hostages, kill bad guys, hunt, hunt the kidnappers. And that's, that's what we did largely. I mean, it took, you know, it took 18 months out of my 22 months, well, two years out ultimately uh, doing some other work for some other, um, other government organizations I won't go into here. Um, two years in Iraq where we finally got serious about the threat and we, we rolled up the networks that were doing the kidnappings. But early on, when someone was kidnapped, the first question asked was, what's their nationality? Because their nationality meant everything. If it wasn't mm -hmm. a, if they were a European and a good ally, then we would support them and help them in some, some ways. But it was this calculus. And if it was a country that we knew was going to pay a ransom, like France, Germany, I mean, we'd offer intelligence support. But the reality was they were going to play the hostage game. And that wasn't our policy. Our closest allies, as I stated, Australia, England, Canada, and the UK, they have the same policy as us. No negotiation with terrorists, dual hostage rescue mission. So we work with, you know, obviously the Special Air Service, the mm -hmm. SBS, Special Boat Service guys, and of course our special forces. We have premier hostage rescue force on planet Earth used to fly yeah. for those guys, you know, who we're talking about. Um, and their, their goal was hostage rescue. And that's what our focus was on, not 
concessions, not negotiations with terrorists, even though they did happen behind the scenes. So when did things change during Obama? I mean, when, when did the, the, the legitimate military, I guess, uh, outlook and projection on the security of the United States and our citizens change to something else? Well, did you like have a feeling uh, when it changed? Well, listen, I'm I'm an equal opportunity. I'll, you can go after every administration because every administration yeah. got into the hostage game. Even you know Carter obviously lost his presidency over it. Yeah. Jimmy, uh, Ronald Reagan, the Gipper, yeah. Yeah. he's the one that publicly stated we don't negotiate with terrorists. Yet behind the scenes, what was Oliver North doing? He was negotiating yeah. the Iran Contra deal that was trading arms for hostages in Lebanon. So there's no presidency, Republican or Democrat, that, that goes without blame on this. And but our change in policy happened under Obama. Now, conversely, Obama made made changes to the U.S. hostage policy that were improvements. And I know this because uh, the first person that ran the new organized, uh, newly reorganized U.S. hostage policy was a close friend of mine. She was a diplomat, Julia Neshawit, who I, I met in Iraq. She was the first um, State Department, uh, you know, lead on this new organize, organization that included the FBI. JSOC elements, DIA, obviously CIA, and they they reorganized how the U.S. would approach it, especially from how they would take care of the families. And they did a much better job. They're doing a better, much better job. And the organization today is run by uh, West Point grad, Green Beret, Roger Carsons, who's, who's one of the most impressive warrior diplomats and capable individuals you'll find on planet Earth. So that change was done under Obama. But the, the, the critical thing about the fact that the the announcement from the Rose Garden and that $400 million ransom payment, call it what you will, they, they try yeah. to say it was not a ransom payment, but it's a ransom payment. And that's that's the change. And we have a, you know, now we have an administration that's doubling down on it. And look where we're at today. They're, like I said, America, your American passport now makes you as much of a target as any other, any other one, any other person traveling around the world these days. So any guesses on how this is going to play out in Gaza? Well, there'll be probably, you know, two more days of the hostage release today, tomorrow. And uh, that, that would be the fourth day. There's a talk about it being extended for up to 10, you know, 10 days total for 10 hostages per day. But the reality is Hamas cannot give up all these hostages because if they do, they're done. They give mm -hmm. up all hostages. Israel is going to wipe them out. Therefore, mm -hmm. the Americans are going to be held on as long as possible. And sadly, heartbreakingly, the Israeli men and women that are of, of military service age, because everyone in Israel serves, there's probably active duty soldiers in the hostages. There's certainly reservists, because I know you stay in the reserves in the IDF until I believe age 40. Um, so any Israeli man or woman that is affiliated with the IDF, um, their captivity is, is going to be a while, months yeah. and potentially years. Anything else you want our audience to know, Dan, about this whole situation? I, I will I will finish on a on an op-ed that we're going to publish on the site. Um, mm -hmm. You want, combating hostage hostage terrorism requires confrontation, not conciliation. It needs to be kept in the clandestine shadows uh, via versus press conferences from the White House. We need to get back to using historical precedent to guide our our current hostage policy, not one that panders to wishful thinking. The thought that paying millions and now billions in ransoms yesterday will now lead to paying billions for the future. It's a failed strategy, and we're seeing that on display. Making concessions to terrorism only encourages more of it. Bowing to an enemy 
that still calls America the great Satan only emboldens more acts of terrorism. And, and our audience can find, uh, you know, you and I flew to the Czech Republic uh, and, and interviewed the Afghan leader from the mountains of Afghanistan in Prague. And you can find that interview on armedforces.press. Dan, thanks so much. We'll have you back. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dan. Uh, we will be back next Sunday. However, before we go, uh, David Cross is a big friend of the show. We mentioned him earlier. He's a financial advisor at U.S. Asset Management. And this is some very tumultuous times financially. There's going to be a lot of things happening in the markets. As a former bond trader, I can tell you that you really need somebody to make sure you make good decisions, uh, especially if you're closer to retirement or at a point where the decision making on what you do with your assets will impact your life down the road. So I'm going to run a quick ad from David. Please, if you are looking for somebody, he's on our team and will give you good advice and somebody you can trust and has your values. This is a special report. Knowing how to invest your money is harder than ever before. Dealing with stock market volatility, record debt, and terrorist attacks requires new thinking. At U.S. Asset Management, we can help you see the world more clearly so that you can move beyond the chaos and invest with confidence. Call us, visit us online, or drop by our office. U.S. Asset Management, helping you make better decisions with your money. So we will see you on the Georgia 2024 show Sunday and at 2 o'clock. But don't forget uh, tomorrow we have, or excuse me, Friday, we have Pacific SITREP. We're going to be playing uh, updated interviews from Israel. We have uh, multiple ones coming as well as here in Poland. I'm going to be bringing some very interesting stuff from Poland because we're in a situation where uh, Tusk can take over the government here and destroy really what PIS, the conservative party, has been able to do by holding off the immigration and keeping Poland Poland. I was walking through old Warsaw today, and incredibly beautiful, and the Christmas decorations. I want to do a video and play them next week uh, because Christmas, you forget what we used to have, what they took from us in the U.S., and we need to get that back. And I'm going to bring some of that Polish Christmas to you next week. So we will see you soon next Sunday at uh, same time, same place, 2 o'clock Sunday. Thank you. I'm just looking for the outro to the thing. Hold on.